Hello and welcome to the Avocado Proust podcast, a weekly podcast about tech, culture, health and everything in between. We'll share things that caught our eye this week and then go a bit deeper on our topic of the week. Hi Jeeves. Hi Loops. For everyone who's listening, it might rain today, so I feel like I need to caveat that because it might get a little bit loud in here. We are... We're very much not in a studio space. We are a couple of a couple of ambitious poppers on my sofa <laughs> trying to make a show. <laughs> you don't need to tell them that. <laughs> They're going to hear the rain and wonder why this has suddenly become very ASMR. We're doing it in a rainforest. Yes. I mean, there's, there's a lot of plants. Everyone's there are been, a lot of plants. Everyone's been freshly misted this morning. If you don't mist your plants, I highly recommend it. It's a great way to start a day. Go ahead and just... Give them a little shower. <laughs> give them a little, little morning mist. mist. Yeah, just a little morning mist, just to get the day started. What are we talking about today? Well, as we are approaching the Jubilee Bank holiday weekend, we'll be talking about the monarchy. Yes. And specifically whether we should keep the monarchy right should we keep them should we get rid of them what should we do about the monarchy but first but first <laughs> <laughs> we have some we have some highlights don't we we do indeed what's been happening for you this week well i read i've been consuming quite a lot of really random scientific news and okay. obviously I don't, <laughs> I'm not a scientist, but I, I've always find it interesting to see how the world is progressing. And I read an article about how scientists at MIT, some researchers came up with a new technique that allowed them to create wood in a lab. That's interesting. Yeah. So they were able to take normal plant cells and did something to them that turned them, that gave them like stem cell like properties, okay. which allowed, and then they stored them somewhere dark and pumped them full of hormones, like plant hormones, which again, didn't know plants had hormones. Who knew? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, stem cells react to hormones in plants as they do to humans. So depending on how you manipulate how the hormones are pumped into them, it determines their properties and what type of cells that they develop into. And so they found that by manipulating some of these chemical properties of the actual plant stem cells, they were able to create wood, a timber-like wood. Interesting. So obviously the purpose of making wood is to use it for furniture and other wood items it is and that way we don't have to cut down the trees exactly well theoretically when when this becomes you know an established science how, what percentage of wood do you think gets wasted in the making of furniture i bet it's quite a high percent like 40 30 to 40 yeah maybe. that's about right yeah, yeah about 30 percent of the wood of wood that's used in furniture making is wasted. So the fact that they could grow this wood in a lab in the in the format or in the shape that they, that they needed needed, it, it, needed yeah. it is quite promising for when it comes to like sustainability issues and stuff. Nice. Yeah. That's not something I would have expected that people were working on. 
Yeah. In terms of like generating wood when you think of like stem cell research yeah. in a way. But that's quite a cool application. Yeah, it makes complete sense. And you can obviously see the potential for that is huge, right? Like, yes. So that's one of those pieces of scientific news that like your mind doesn't immediately go to, okay, but what will the class action lawsuit be? <laughs> the implications of this. Yeah, it's <laughs> quite clearly you know, beneficial, seems pretty uncontroversial. Yeah, feels like a net positive. There's yeah. no no kind of like, I just don't, you know, <laughs> it's just like a really innocent, really n- lovely piece of, piece of news. So I thought that was really cool. Nice. Well, I've got a similar piece of research that I stumbled upon this week. Tell me. Which is also actually to do with sustainability. So scientists at the University of Texas at Austin created an enzyme basically that can break down plastics and usually that plastics take you know hundreds of years to break down but this enzyme can do it in a matter of hours to days so obviously that helps to solve a pretty pressing problem around what we should do about all the plastic that is building up in kind of landfills and stuff like that so I thought that was quite cool. That's so cool. I mean, my immediate question becomes, let's say theoretically we are able to pour that enzyme into some of the trash piles that are in the ocean. What does that mean for the quality of fish? (laughs) (laughs) I think... Can I still eat the fish that comes out of the ocean (laughs) is basically what I'm asking. (laughs) Interesting question. I think this is mainly aimed at kind of landfills... And stuff like that, as opposed to the ocean plastic. I I suspect that's kind of maybe uh, the plastic needs to be retrieved from the ocean first, perhaps, and then yeah, I guess we could scoop it out. Yeah, because I don't really know how this enzyme functions in water. Yeah, I love that (laughs) for us. You'd think it would just like flow around, (laughs) and it wouldn't it wouldn't really work that well. But yeah, so the the enzyme itself focuses on polyethylene. (laughs) that sounds about right yeah 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 Yeah, just explain it to the people i know what it is but for the benefit of the listeners you can like tell them what it what it's all about yeah it's it's basically the type of plastic that you find in like you know water bottles food packaging stuff like that so the, the kind of daily use stuff that we use all the time love that that's yeah. very happy news i enjoyed that very much um also trying to solve a um what i would say is a pretty universally global issue that's plagued civilization (laughs) there are uh, some students and i forget what university they're in but it's somewhere in the u.s have created a very special type of edible tape (laughs) specifically for use in keeping burritos closed which I love that. <laughs> I enjoyed very much, and the the idea behind that, obviously, and you know, not to. <laughs> That's so excellent. It's, to be it's, fair. it's such a pro- it's a problem that I myself have faced, and it's me but too. It's, but I never it never occurred to me that you you know what would fix this is tape. It's like edible tape. I just kind of dealt with it, and as a consequence, you get a fork and a plate with your burrito for the drop off. You know, (laughs) it just made me think that 
society, it just feels like the world is, you know, there are times when society feels hopeless. And then there are other times where you think about the next generation that are really coming in to solve problems. And again, this story is the net positive, I feel. Yeah. Like, there's no downside to burrito tape. No, no, there isn't. You know, and it's it, so right now they're working on getting the patents, for, uh, the, the patent like made and sign out, signed off for the sure. the tape itself. So they're not sharing the recipe just yet. But once they the patent information is all done and dusted, they're going to be able to share that with the world. But it's all about solving problems. You know, it's we, we just we become yeah. as people, we just become accustomed to being OK with chaos when really so much of that chaos is optional so yeah i applaud that i enjoyed that very much me too i look forward to seeing burrito tape on burritos in the near future <laughs> anything else yes Cut your eye? yeah so i listened to an interesting podcast about dna tests so the ones like 23 and me that tell you about your ancestry and I guess any maybe genetic details of like your like your tribe background, where yeah, where yeah. you're from. Maybe also genetic uh, like diseases you might be predisposed to. So in theory, there's some quite informa- interesting information that they can provide. But the podcast basically suggested that they're not entirely accurate because a lot of the information they provide you is based on their own database. So how many people essentially do the test and send it to them? So, for example, in the early days, I'm not sure if it's still the case, of I think 23andMe, one of of them, they didn't really give accurate results on people with African heritage because they didn't really have many people of African heritage doing the test. So they'd not necessarily be able to pinpoint which country you were from. And obviously, I would say most people know a bit of their heritage. So they were like, well, this is obviously wrong. Um, But I think as the database grows, the more accurate it, it gets. But what I thought was interesting is the thing it seems to be really good at is finding people you're related to, Mm -hmm. which obviously... It could be interesting, maybe if you're adopted and you wanted to find out about your biological family, but also I can imagine it could create some issues in your family if you're like, oh, (laughs) this is a stepbrother I never knew existed. (laughs) So uh, opening the door to that, which I thought was interesting, that that, that's the kind of most accurate thing they can do. And it, it it might be sort of not something you want at all. And obviously also the genetic disease type thing so you know if you have the breast cancer gene for example I think it would let you know that but if you wanted that medical information you could probably get it from your doctor for example rather than a private company and the other thing they talked about in this podcast Mm -hmm. is data privacy so these say that yes which is an issue close to our hearts yes it is (laughs) Um, (laughs) we've discussed this many times (laughs) all these companies providing the service are obviously private companies and you don't know what they're doing with your data really are they selling it even if they say they're not selling it they're sharing it with anyone 
what happens if they go out of business and another company buys them and then has control of that data. So it's all very kind of, I guess, future thinking. You don't necessarily know. Maybe they're not doing anything bad with the data now, but it's, I guess, a similar thing to what we were talking about the other week with the period tracking app data mm-hmm. where if you are providing that data obviously you know we, we've been doing that I've been using one for years mm-hmm. and then if you're in the US that information is suddenly very interesting to law enforcement in states where abortion might become illegal so I think there's also cases of you know law enforcement using genetic information not necessarily in the UK but in China for example with the Uyghur population so using DNA to identify them so it can def like it can definitely go bad basically providing this information to companies and I've always been quite suspicious of them like part of me is like oh I think that might be kind of cool maybe it'll tell you a bit about your heritage but it's not cool enough to give up that data there's always been something that's felt a bit ominous about well, the idea of a private company having access to so mm. much genetic data. You see all these TV shows where that are based on this idea of matching. There is a, you know, soulmate <laughs> out there for you. And yeah. they all seem to be based on, it's a DNA match. Like you were created, like who is your compatible DNA person? And so, right, it's like the basis of so many of these TV shows. That's an interesting one, yeah. We did watch one a little while ago. We did, yeah. I can't remember what it was called, but yes, it was like, this is your genetic ideal... Like your soulmate, soulmate your perfect match. Which feels like that could be a thing. Yeah. Like, that seems quite realistic for future. Yeah. And then, yeah, this dating app has your DNA. That yeah. feels like, oh, <laughs> you know, there's terrible. Something, there's some, there's, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting because, yeah, somebody could be your DNA match but not be your, you know, it doesn't really say much for compatibility if you're not planning to mate with them. <laughs> well, I thought the concept was not necessarily that it's your best match in terms of offspring I thought it was that it's your best match in terms of compatibility yeah in terms of biology because they don't like you know like in the premise of the tv show yeah (laughs) not real it's not real it's not real but I think the premise of it is like who is the person that is that was created to match you and the idea is it's based on your genes your dna and I don't know if it's based on compatibility, like a, you have to do a quiz or anything like that, but it probably would make sense. <laughs> Some sort of like, like a BuzzFeed quiz. It's always a quiz. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. I have heard, I, I, w- I am familiar with some of the ancestral testing challenges. I've heard stories of siblings finding out they're not actually related, of people finding That's out that yeah. their parents aren't actually their parents. It can be quite a contentious thing for a family to go through. And I'm also really familiar with the the fact that the black databases or the African databases were really lacking. And I know there was a huge push maybe a decade ago, I want to say, perhaps sooner than that, where one of the big ones did a big push because they were like, we don't have any information about African ancestry um, or African ancestral 
DNA. It's really lacking. So they did a big push to ask for volunteers to send in their DNA from volunteers from people who knew that they were from certain areas. Because that's how they do it, right? They go, okay, well, if these 3,000 people are from this tribe and they all have the same matching DNA and your DNA matches, you probably are are as well, right? Which is why it's not that accurate because... You know, it's, I mean, but it's the yeah, it's best based we can on their do. Yeah, di- their database, basically. Exactly. Yeah. So if your database is lacking, you're not going to be able to have that. There is an, a company now called African Ancestry that mm. that does do that. I haven't tried them, even though I've been tempted, because the pricing is, like, insane. It's, like, oh, okay. 300 pounds uh, for a testing kit. And it's, yeah, it's a bit insane. But also, my family history is quite not monotonous. What's the word? you know it i guess yeah we're all from the exact same village in the same country (laughs) throughout the ages as far back as as records show so we're we're not a very interesting uh, we're not a very um biodiverse (laughs) family of (laughs) travelers who've picked up dna from around the world it would be interesting one day but i don't i'm not i'm not paying 300 pounds to be told that i'm from this exact (laughs) mountain town that that I already knew I was from. But yeah, it's always, it's, uh, it's, it's always interesting. And I don't know how many people actually understand how the DNA, how the ancestral DNA uh, testing kits work. I don't know if it's common knowledge that people, that it's not based on, that it's based on comparing your DNA to other people as opposed to, you know, some sort of knowledge that was picked up in this one area of the world. Because my understanding of it before was, oh, researchers went all over the world and found old bones. And so they know where everyone's from, you know. So I think it's always interesting. But for me, the bigger question is, though, the bigger concern there is less about the accuracy of the test. And like we said, more about the data privacy. It's just I just can't imagine a world where a private company would have such powerful data about people and not be tempted to use it in some way. Same. Yeah. I just don't trust companies. I don't trust the government either. I yeah, sound, I don't, yeah. I sound like a crazy person, but it's true. <laughs> like I, I don't know. Well, all these companies are all people. They're all human beings, right? You think about company, it's a com- collection of human beings making decisions. And, you know, there's, there's the saying about how, all plans are perfect until humans are involved. (laughs) So, you know, knowing our nature, I just don't, I just don't trust that, but that wouldn't necessarily stop me from using one of these kits. If I knew that if there was any sort of incentive or any sort of um, information that said Mm. that perhaps I wasn't from where I was from, but also my entire family, we all look like each other. We all have the exact same face, just with different length hair. So <laughs> I don't think there's a danger there that there's any <laughs> there's any family drama. But would you do one of those tests? I've been intrigued to do it in the past. Not necessarily from the heritage standpoint. I'm pretty sure we kind of, similar to you, like know which region of India we're from and stuff like that. Mm. But partially for the medical side of things to see if there's any predisposition to diseases but I could probably get that in a non like in a different context I don't know if they if like private medical uh companies do those types of tests and maybe maybe you pay for them but the data like maybe there's better laws governing that data than for 
these other companies that are doing it for like ancestral reasons. Because mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think there's anything really governing how they use data at all. Whereas I think for medical data, there are some rules. So I'd be interested in investigating that, but it's not necessarily the top of my list. But like, I'm, I'm mildly intrigued. It's see when you said that just then. That's really interesting. I, I'm unsure whether or not I would want to know if I had a genetic predisposition to a particular disease. Really? Yeah. I don't know. There's something, it's like, it's like if you could know the date when you'll die, would you want to know it? I think, no. <laughs> right? Because it feels <laughs> a bit like, yeah, it feels a bit like, because if, if, you, if you genetically predisp- predisposed to a particular disease, you can't do anything about it. Then it just becomes a waiting game, doesn't it? I think it depends on what the disease is. So if maybe you're a bit more likely to develop heart disease or something, I don't know, maybe it would be a good incentive for you to be healthier. I actually think I'm already pretty healthy, so I don't know if I'd make, if I knew that, what changes I'd make, maybe slightly less sugar. (laughs) Slightly. (laughs) Yeah. Got to live still. But. You know, maybe for some people that would be interesting. I guess the breast cancer one is good to know early, essentially, so that you can put in, like, I guess, preventative measures or keep track of it before it gets bad if it starts to develop. So I think that I can see why that is useful to know. But I think if you if you know you have a family history of that already, you can get that tested with your doctor not obviously not with a private company but I think generally that is uh, good to know I'm not sure what other diseases though like maybe uh sort of one that you might develop later and is degenerative and you can't do anything about yeah maybe that wouldn't be I know some people are motivated by that, like motivated by thinking about the end of their life, right? Like Mm -hmm. Stoics are quite motivated by that. I'm not motivated by that at all. If anything, it just causes me stress (laughs) because I'm like, it it makes me feel powerless. Whereas for some people, I know it, it like it fuels them to go out and do more knowing that like, okay, well, I, you know, life is short and you have to live as if you're going to, you know, you, you, this is your last day kind of thing. Yeah, I think I do find it quite... I don't know if motivating is the right word, but, like, I find it both depressing but also a bit, like, kicks me into gear to think about it. Yeah. Like, I don't, you know, when I'm hungover and go into a bit of a spiral <laughs> about that. We're not talking about not, the death, you know, <laughs> the anxiety spiral. Not that, but, you know, sometimes I, I think being reminded of it does make you live in the moment and make not put stuff off that you kind of want to do so I find I do find it useful yeah whereas I end up putting like if I'm reminded of it I'll put I'll still put stuff off but I'll just feel (laughs) really guilty for putting (laughs) stuff off and then I get stressed that I'm putting stuff off and instead of actually dealing (laughs) not putting the stuff off I just you know it sends me into a bit of a, a bit of a spiral so that doesn't quite work for me but speaking of preventative ways to look after your health my final highlight for this week is the announcement that came out about the 
the extending of cervical screening time. So it's moving from three years to five years. Oh, really? Yeah. And the the reason for that is because scientists have developed a new HPV test that I guess gets, goes a little bit more detailed when it comes to testing for abnormal cells. And it looks for signs of the actual HPV, like signs of HPV, I guess, in the cervical samples. Because the test, the new test that they've developed is a lot more comprehensive, they're able to have a bit more confidence when it comes to letting us know whether or not we are likely to develop abnormal cells in the next, before, before the next screening. Nice. And the chance of there being abnormal cell changes between, from one screening to another, but with the old test was four in 1,000, and with the new test is one in 1,000. So they're able to be that much more certain that you are not going to develop abnormal cells between your screenings. That makes sense. Okay, so because it's more specific... And more detailed and more comprehensive, and they are now looking for signs of HPV. So because there's over 100 different types of... HPV viruses, apparently our bodies normally do a pretty good job of clearing them out. They're not all dangerous, but some mm-hmm. of them, sometimes it can get dangerous when your body can't clear it out. And then that's when it then develops into something more cancerous. So the fact that they're able to better check the samples that they're collecting from us every three years means that they have a lot more confidence when it comes to saying, you're probably going to be fine. You're this much more probably going to be fine. That was in English, but we're just going to go with it. <laughs> if my doctor told me it I was... It gives you more reassur- reassurance, yeah. basically, from that result. Exactly. If my doctor used that sentence with me, I would want a second opinion. If he mm-hmm. said, you are this much more probably not going to get it, <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, cool. I need to sp- speak to a manager, if that's all right. I was going to say, that, that sounds like you're very... For some reason, that sounds like very bad news. Yes, it does. You know, you're like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're probably not very much going to. <laughs> so I definitely am. So, so you're saying that I am, in fact, yes. So yeah, so that's good news. So it good. means it's every five years. Um, but I think, I don't know when they're going to announce it, but it was on BBC this, this morning. So okay, that should nice. be coming out soon. Because it's not a pleasant experience getting a no, smear. No, it's not. But it is important to do. So even though it's not ex- not pleasant, it's you should so it. important. It's so, so, so important. It's the, it's, yeah, it's just so important. Please do it. If you have a cervix, please go and do it. Yes, please. When it's your, when it's your turn. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Perhaps don't volunteer, but when you're called to go and do it, then definitely go and do it. Mm, too funny. Okay. Our topic of the week. Yes, the monarchy. Oh, the monarchy. So there's a couple of ways that we could tackle this particular subject. Because I know we said we wanted to talk about this, but we're all... (laughs) Jeeves and I are so aligned that we have to find different ways of being able to cover the topic in a way that's actually interesting to everybody. I have some ideas about how we could tackle it. But first, I would love to hear... Like, would love to know, what do you know about the royals 
already now. We're talking about the British monarchy, for the record. Yes. Yeah. So I guess I know that they, I don't know who all of them are. I know there's like (laughs) Queen Elizabeth, Prince Charles, William and Harry, their wives and children, Prince Andrew, obviously. Um, And I guess, what else do I know? That they're not, obviously they're not really involved in politics. They're just kind of figureheads. But the Prime Minister still has a, is it weekly sitting with the Queen? Monthly? I can't actually remember now. Although I'm not sure why, because they just read out whatever they're told to read out by whatever government happens to be in power. Yeah, I like, mean, I don't... it's not... I, th- I thought in that meeting they actually do get the monarch's, like, view on stuff. Um, like, I guess she has a lot of historical context. Well, um, that's what they tell but us, but is that, is that really... True? Is that even true? Because if the Queen didn't like a particular policy, like, if she wasn't okay with the Rwanda policy, what would that mean for government policy? I mean, nothing. Absolutely nothing. But I think it's still to have that conversation but yeah we obviously don't know what happens in that meeting so I think the idea is it's for her to give her viewpoint but it actually has no impact like Boris will do what he wants to do anyway yeah I grew up alternating between the American schooling system and the British schooling system and I remember when I was in the British schooling system we learned about the Tudors and Henry VIII and all the wives so What I know about the monarchs are what happened with the Tudors and the War of the Roses and that whole era and the modern day monarchs where you have the links to Nazi Germany, you have the treatment of Meghan, whether you agree or disagree with whether that was real or not, that still happened. The abdication, is that a word, of Prince Harry? (laughs) Like left... Just left left his his family and, you know, moved to the U.S. And then I know that there's a lot of what probably at the time would have been referred to as pure blood, a.k.a. incest, keeping it in the family. I know there's a little <laughs> bit of that sprinkled yep. throughout, you know? Yeah, they're all of, like, cousins or something. Yeah, they? which is ironic because I don't think incest is legal in the U.K., is it? You would have thought that the people, if you're in power and you have a history of marrying within your own family, you'd want to make sure. Yeah, you'd push. I mean, I feel like they don't really want to do it anymore. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, I guess. I suppose, yeah, I guess that makes sense. But yeah, so what I know (laughs) is sort of like around that whole era of it. And whether or not, I think we can all agree that whether or not you're a fan of the monarchs, I am grateful for the bank holiday. Me too. I'll take it. Yep. I say grateful. I use that with a pinch of salt because I'm not going to thank you for it because my ancestors would probably have a lot to say about. Yes. Same. <laughs> same. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but I'll take the bank holiday. You know, I'll take the bank holiday. Yeah. I think I would respect, I would have a lot more respect for the queen if there hadn't been that lump sum payment for Andrew. Oh my god, the Andrew situation I just can't handle. Like, it's, it's just it's maddening. It's so maddening to me. Just in case the listeners aren't aware, do you yes. want to inform uh, them? Don't make me say it. Well, there were, you know, Prince Andrew has been accused. He hasn't been uh, 
found guilty of anything, has he? No, he hasn't. But he's not, but he's essentially accepted guilt. <laughs> yeah, settled out of court, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And of uh, being one of Jeffrey Epstein, the infamous pedophile, of being a part of his pedophile circle. He's an alleged <laughs> pedophile. Yes, he's an alleged pedophile who settled out of court instead of taking the case to court to get Which an outcome. Which makes him look incredibly guilty. Yes. And his mother, the queen, paid a large settlement. I believe it was £12 million. They paid the settlement to settle out of court with his accuser. Yeah. Happening there. not really a good thing to be associated with it's it, not it? it's not and he hasn't really faced much of a consequence i feel like i think he got stripped of his royal highness but like who cares he's, he's still he's a still prince. he's still out in the world yeah he's not in prison no. which i feel in my personal opinion is where <laughs> he should be yes. not in a royal home that is paid for by the taxpayer and certainly not being paraded in front of the taxpayer at you know like at the uh, was it a memorial for Prince Philip where he was he got to walk the queen down the aisle to the front like you cannot parade your alleged pedophile son <laughs> in front of the taxpayer and you know but also the queen is like almost 100 yeah. so at this stage I don't think she I don't think she has any like fuck stuff to give I think she's just like yellow she, yeah she's just doing whatever she wants there's no consequences to is... her doing she doesn't give it she doesn't yeah. care about when you get to that age i don't plan to still have airs and graces when i'm in my 90s i plan to just yolo my way through the situation yeah that what little you've got left of your life i suppose so yes i don't necessarily expect her to make reasonable decisions in a way because she's so old yeah and you know there's a lot to be said too about attitudes to women and the place of women in high society in especially amongst you know the royal family for instance there's a there's a way for women to conduct themselves there's a place for women to be in and so the accusations of a woman i don't think would hold much ground you think of like the way women in the royal family have been treated i'm thinking of princess di rest in peace i remember watching her funeral when i was when i was really young and the, the procession and everything of yeah when it all happened and it's just there's just like a lot going on there that's not cool (laughs) yeah basically i just think the whole i don't know there's just the royal family i'm quite clearly not fan but yeah there's there feels like there's a lot of dodgy stuff and we're we're funding it like our tax money is paying for them so do you want to do you know how much the monarchy costs annually i'm going to say 150 million so interestingly the stat i saw was 40 million pounds i haven't cross-checked that it was in one article i think so quite a lot Mm -hmm. could be money we could put towards the nhs yep um yeah, that oh, no. seems don't, like Brexit will give us NHS money. Don't worry about that. <laughs> don't worry about the NHS. will be fine. Uh, They're all heroes. You just need to like thank them for their service and not pay them. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to give uh, NHS more money. Yes, okay, so we're not doing but, a very good job of presenting a balanced view here. So, so <laughs> let me just let me okay. Just give go ahead. one more. Go ahead. Go ahead. Monetary 
start. Apparently in 2016, they said they were going to do a renovation of Buckingham Palace, paid for by the taxpayer. That was going to take about 10 years. And guess how much that's going to cost? 12 billion. I think you're you're, you're making my stats sound. (laughs) You're you're getting quite high. 396 million. Over 10 years. Over 10 years. So again, like, it's a lot of money that we're using to maintain these figureheads. Is that, does that really feel like a good use of money? And yes, okay, so we can talk about the, what what, are, what do you think the benefits of having a monarchy are? Okay, so bearing in mind that I naturalized, <laughs> I had to swear allegiance to the queen in order to be allowed to live in the UK. So I, you, you know, swore an oath to defend her. <laughs> Is that actually what you do? You have to swear an oath to give your life for the queen, like to defend your queen in war times, which means that if there's ever a war, all the immigrants have to gather on the palace and be like human shields to protect her. With that in mind, I feel like it's my duty to try to present <laughs> a case for them, you know, and some of the usual talking points when it comes to like pro monarchy people are like, oh, it's part of like tradition and it's part of British culture. And, and I'm, as I'm saying this, I can, I'm feeling very tense because I'm thinking about like, (laughs) this is very difficult for me. And I'm also trying to protect my passport because Patel's prowling. She's on the prowl. She's on a mission (laughs) and I don't want to lose my passport. So yeah, there's a lot of cultural arguments to that. There's a lot of, (laughs) there's a lot of like, oh, they bring in a lot of money from tourism and they bring in more money than we spend maintaining them. And yes, they don't, they have to be politically neutral. Because historically, members of the monarchy have been beheaded when certain factions have taken power, right? So there's that. And, you know, that's, that's, if it, like, that's it, basically. <laughs> because <laughs> <laughs> that was really hard. <laughs> I think, so on the tourism point, because I've seen that before, and I actually think that's not a great argument. So, you know, there's lots of reasons for tourism to the UK. I think Legoland, which is down the road from <laughs> Windsor Castle, actually gets more visitors than Windsor Castle. But also, if you think about, you know, like the Palace of Versailles yeah. in France, mm-hmm. France doesn't have a monarchy anymore, but they they still get tourism to Versailles. They get loads of tourism there. They do. So that you don't you don't need a monarchy for the tourism that pe- people would still come to Buckingham Palace. Of course they would. Well they they're only go you don't see the queen there anyway. True. You just want to take a photo in front of the palace. The gates, not even, not even on the yeah. grounds, but So I I do think I think that's not really a valid reason and then I think we'll both have lots of thoughts on the culture point of things, but I guess yeah. to put it briefly it's not really a culture that we should want to hold in super high esteem right for me the monarchy represents colonialism basically and bad vibes (laughs) (laughs) so like it's like about subjugating other countries including our countries yeah funding slavery and bringing it to the world there's there's a lot to be said as well about the fact that the outrage of the taxpayer isn't enough to 
keep the royal family in check. William and Kate went on tour to tour the old colonies. I can't believe that they still did in, do that. In this day and age. It just, it's just insane to me that considering what's, how the mood has changed and how much new, how like the new levels of social awareness that people have come to when they realize actually we didn't, there's so much that we didn't know about our history and people are trying to contend with like, how do we hold on to the history that makes us while also being respectful of the fact that there are other British people who have had a very different experience that we need to be mindful of, right? Like the statues debate, for instance, and all of that, all of that noise. Like, do you not, is there nobody in the room during the planning of this to go, okay, the mood of the world has changed. How do we do this in a way that's sensitive? How do we do this in a way that's like not the colonizers visiting the colonies and having having the colonized perform for the colonizers? It's just as wild to watch that. And it just goes to show how disconnected mm. that entire world is from what's happening on the ground. And if you don't, so it's like, if you're going to still be around, the least you can do is try to remain relevant because the world has changed. 97 years is a long time to be alive. Right. And so yeah. the world is, uh, it's just, yeah, it's maddening. Yeah. It, yeah. I think, I, I think we both, it's probably quite apparent. <laughs> I just, for me, it's we, like, but like, okay. So I'm, it's obviously something that I'm, you know, a little bit pressed about, but it's less about, same. I just have such low tolerance for incompetence. And this whole thing feels like incompetence. It feels like just a support showing. Yeah, I think it is just like a weird charade that is being played out and we're kind of paying for it, but it doesn't really, I feel like, I don't know. Yeah, there's there's a lot of things that obviously don't sit well with me about it. I think part of it is also like it feels strange to have this one family who is sort of better than everyone else and yeah like parades around other countries the monarchy just seems so absurd mm -hmm. in that like they've just been born into this family and that means that they have all this stuff and they don't really do anything and I don't know, it's this is the whole concept of it. And then, yeah, the, when they behave out of context with the rest of society, and it's like, well, why are we... We are allowing all this yeah, to happen. Yeah, we are. Like, we're perpetuating it, and it could be... I say I was about to say it could be so easy to get rid of them, but it's actually apparently not that easy. Really? So it is a complex process. Apparently it would take legislation, an act of parliament, and signed by the sovereign to end the monarchy so they need to agree <laughs> to end it which which for me doesn't make sense at all that well it makes total sense to me frankly because it like i would imagine if parliament did pass a thing to say okay we're getting rid of it i think they would probably have to sign it but well, purely because of the sheer amount of yeah like that the that globe, the movement the would yeah would mean force. a lot like they could yeah. just be like ah we're we're staying so yeah. I think I think you know that if if it went to that phase that last step probably wouldn't be the thing that stops yeah. it would would be my guess but apparently you know it could take a few years it's it's not like a super easy process and I think other other countries have managed to do it through public referendum. So I think Greece is one of them. Mm. But 
that that's not how it's done here, which is, I think, a bit, again, dodgy. Like, it's just the system is keeping this archaic monarchy in place and there's not an easy way to get rid of it. Whereas if it was like a referendum, like Brexit, for example... I mean, if you remember, there was a moment when Boris lied to the Queen, got caught, got in trouble for it, but there was no consequence for it. He was able to stay in power. So you don't actually have to be honest with the Queen. No, you don't. And I think that's a really interesting point to make because I guess in the past, part of the role of the monarchy when they had power would have been to provide like a bit of a check on the prime minister. And I think that tends to be, you know, lots of countries have replaced a monarch with a president. So they have both a president and a prime minister like Mm -hmm. France. And they, they kind of provide a bit of balance and checks on each other. Whereas for us, we just have this figurehead monarch and then Boris who can do whatever, whatever he wants and no one is checking him. Yeah. Really, I guess parliament, but like not really. Whereas I, I think, if we did get rid of the monarchy and we had a president instead, oh, then it, it would just it be two Borises. Provide... It'd be two Borises egging each other on <laughs> and they'd be doing shots while Prince Philip was being buried. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, fair enough. Like <laughs> they, still... they would probably both be from Eton. Yeah. But I think that would be better than no, like... Like no checks at all. Yeah. And, you know, it's more recently as well, it was watching the Prince Charles do the speech about the cost of living crisis while decked in full royal regalia with the throne behind him and all this, like... That man knows nothing about the cost of living crisis. Who is making these decisions? Who is keeping them disconnected from the reality of the world? Like, who, who are these... But I don't, think, I, mean? I don't think they want to be connected either. I think they're quite happy in their palace being paid for by all of us, you know, the, the people who are actually suffering the cost of living crisis. Like, get rid of the monarchy and give that 40 million a year to people of your country. Like, it's uh, bullshit. For the record, we are not advocating for overthrowing the monarchy. I know Patel. I am. No. 100%. <laughs> Do you want to go to Rwanda? Because I don't. <laughs> okay, I only speak for myself when I say that I am not Let's advocating. Let's do it, guys. <laughs> Email in the show notes. <laughs> I'm absolutely not advocating for any sort of overthrow of anything. I'm a law-abiding, tax-paying citizen who does not want to <laughs> incur the wrath of, the, of Patel and her henchmen. So... That's, I just want to caveat that. If you want, you can tweet, <laughs> tweet, tweet Jeeves. Her details are in the comments and she'll keep you posted on the plans. But me, Looms, I am innocent. I have opinions, but I have no desire to make any sort of moves. Speaking of the future. Yes. You mentioned the castle. If we did get rid of the monarchy, which I do not advocate for. <laughs> if we did what would you use buckingham palace for instead what could we use that for oh interesting question i think the palace itself would probably still be used for tourism but maybe there's you know i I actually don't know what you can do if you can do a tour at all of buckingham palace but tours maybe so you keep it a palace yeah i i think so you wouldn't turn it into a giant nightclub (laughs) 
that would also bring in some tourism, I suppose. It's just a slightly different crowd. Uh, yeah, I think I'd keep it at Palace and just, um, yeah, I don't know. Get, basically get more money out of it than you're probably getting now. There's this nightclub in Germany called Berg, Bergheim. Bergheim. Yeah. Hein? Bergheim? Bergheim. But it's like a super secret club that you like have to... It's a very specific door policy that nobody knows about and all decisions are made by the people on the door. But people go from far and wide and they travel to try and get in to try and get into this place and like people have all these like hacks and stuff to get in but no two ways work at the same time i've heard you have to not be speaking english and you also have to look cool <laughs> i've heard that the more dressed up you are the less likely you are to get in but like yeah, also yeah, you have that, to be like casual yeah. and like a bit grungy i yeah. think but also you can't Star be too wise. casual or you won't get in I've heard that as well. Interesting. I've heard that. Yeah, I heard, I've heard, also heard the thing about not speaking. You have to be German speaking. Like not you. You can't be an obvious tourist. Yeah. They don't want tourists in there because things get weird in Kills there. Kills the vibe. Yeah, and it's like yeah, it's a very specific place, a very specific audience. But everybody tries to go, and not everyone can get in. So I would turn Palace into that. Nice. Bring the tourists. <laughs> <Love in. that. laughs> I mean, I wouldn't go to it because it's open quite late, and like you know, we we'll go to bed early. On this we, <laughs> we do. <laughs> it would probably start at like one a.m., but I'm usually in bed by like eight. So, and then, what would you? How would you? So, let's say you get put in charge of like reassigning members of the of the monarch Ooh. family with new jobs. Think about like the transferable skills. <laughs> So let's pick. Where would you put? Where would you put Andrew? Uh, he's not, he's not prison? allowed to go to jail because he's settled and he's technically the all the charges were alleged. Where would I put him? So where would you put him? Bearing in mind his transferable skills, he's obviously good with young people. Oh. <laughs> Nowhere near young people. What's a way you could imprison someone without without imprisoning them officially? Um, I'd make him work a really, really boring office job. Like, yeah. m- I don't know. No, that's just not, that's not bad not- enough. There is nothing, there's a reason prison exists, you know. <laughs> so I think that I would make him, I would create a brand new job Ooh. that is specifically, because I'm thinking about like, where in society needs more help, right? Care workers, care homes need a lot of help, a lot of support. Yeah. They don't get paid enough and they have some of the most thankless tasks on the planet, right? Because mm. there's a lot of like diaper changing and sponge baths and things like that. I would create a new role specifically in for care homes that would take all the tasks that the nurses would rather not do, but they oh, do nice. out of, you know, compassion, yeah, yeah. whatever. So to change, di- I'd put them on diaper duty at care homes. The thing is, I wouldn't trust him with patients. Yeah, but these ones have aged out. So I don't know. You know I, just, I just think he's a creep. I'd, I'd be more concerned about like the older people's kids coming in because I wouldn't want him to be around those kids because of the yeah, alleged yeah, because of exactly. the alleged charges. So <laughs> I would probably do that. It'd be a care home situation, and I'd want him to be surrounded by feces, fecal matter. If you don't want him around the patients, then he could be in charge of wheeling the diapers out and then sorting out the like going through the diapers to find lost. <laughs> treasure Lost items. <laughs> i think yeah i think that's what what i would do okay where would you reassign the queen the thing is she's so old so she can't 
you don't really do anything. Well, we're not ageist on this platform, right? We are we are in support of women, and fine. we want yeah, women yeah, of yeah. all ages to, to, to thrive. Fine, yes. Thank so, you, queen. <laughs> so, what kind of position? I wouldn't want her to be in a position of power because no, I don't no. think she has any experience actually having power because they don't have power right now. I think. Uh, she does a lot of speeches, I suppose. To be a good spokeswoman, a good neutral spokesperson. Yeah. She could do adverts for like L'Oreal or something <laughs> for their like old people range. <laughs> That's, I'd, I'd say that. Let's say Charles. Charles. I, I think Charles is quite into the environment. So I think I would say a litter picker <laughs> on the beach. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, you don't want litter going into the ocean. He's into into the environment so i'd say that so we've decided that um buckingham palace is going to become the uk's own burkhain <laughs> just a preview yeah. of the dj yes yes and we've got new jobs for the monarchs and then if you were allowed to choose anyone to be a figurehead in that way so barbados had you know seceded they chose rihanna riri love that love right so who would you want to be the figurehead oh this is a really tough one because i feel like who is excellent present company excluded obviously i mean i didn't want to say anything but one of us i thought that would be the right choice I think we could govern really well together. Frankly. I think we could actually. Because maybe it should just be us. Should I don't it just know why be I'm us? Trying to think of yeah. Someone else. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it should be us. Maybe we should be in charge. Yeah. And I just had a thought of who else it could be. Actually. Oh, go ahead. Um, the guy who wrote the book that I started reading. Uh, oh, Akala. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm, I like how you got that from. What? I did. I did. Little I said. Yes. Because I, I feel did. like he has a good understanding of like British history. Yes. But also modern day life in London. And I also obviously like that he's not white. Yes. So that helps. But I was trying, yeah, I was trying to think of someone who kind of has a knowledge. Because I, I do think the whole culture and history thing is important for a country. But I think it needs a different lens to the one the current monarchy gives. I completely agree with that. And I think the reason why he's even more qualified is because it's so rare for us to get to hear a conversation about the monarchy that also intersects with race and class and how those three powers and forces have shaped yeah. Britain today. We'll put a link to his book, Natives, in the yeah, show notes. I was, I was just going to say, because it's called Natives, Race and Class in the Ruins of the Empire. Oh, it's the fascinating. He grew up working class and he just, the way that he, he has, he has, he spent years researching British history and he talks about the impact of colonialism and how that impacted and continues to impact modern day Britain. Because you can't talk about race in the UK without covering class. And you can't mm. talk about class without covering the monarchy. And I don't know if it's just unique to us. It's probably not unique to us, actually. But there is this intersection of race and class that is so rarely covered. And growing up the way that he did, having the understanding 
of the world that he does, having traveled as much as he has and having had a, done as much research as he has, yeah, I also vote for Akala, Akala for King. And he's also... He's uh, also a hot artist. dope rapper. <laughs> I was yeah. just going to say, I, I've been to one of his gigs and I was like, he's one of those people who is like multi-talented yes. author and musician. So Yes, he's incredible. But uh, so I highly recommend read the book, but also he narrates his own audiobook. Oh, ah, cool. And he has, he just does a very wonderful job of that. So he's just a very talented, very intelligent man. But if he doesn't want the job, Jeeves and I will take it. I actually wanted to bring us back to reality for a moment because obviously this is a lovely fantasy of Tis. getting rid of the monarchy, but it's, I don't know, it's sort of one of those things where we can talk about it. I think it's quite interesting, but how realistic do we think it's going to be that it happens? And I read a couple of articles and they were all sort of like, no, it's very unrealistic that this is going to happen. But they there was a survey that was done by YouGov I think last year and they looked at the breakdown of different obviously age groups and how they felt about the monarchy so 41% of those aged 18 to 24 thought there should be an elected head of state so someone like a president and then 31% wanted to keep the monarchy. So I thought that was interesting that even among young people, 31% it's quite sizable. wanted to keep the monarchy. Obviously the majority, 41%, didn't. But it's it's still not... I thought the skew would be much yeah. bigger towards not wanting it. And then if you go up an age group to 25 to 49, 53% supported keeping the monarchy so you know about 50 50 but apparently that was down five points from a similar poll in 2019 so i guess that kind of represents obviously a younger generation getting into that category and then maybe being less supportive of it so maybe over time that will keep shifting that way and then among those overaged Aged over 65, 81% wanted to keep the monarchy. Surprise, surprise. What a a shocker. So, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Quite a a clear skew towards young people not necessarily being super supportive, but it's... But it's not as clear cut. They're not like... They're not really It's not like 10%, you know, are are for it. It's like the 31% is quite sizable. Yeah, exactly. And I thought that was interesting. And I think of all the, I feel like young people are very like cognizant about social issues and Mm. stuff like that. And being quite progressive is is my kind of impression of Generation Z. (laughs) (laughs) And from, you know, a millennial. (laughs) But I thought it was interesting that this doesn't really seem to be one of them. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if they're is potentially like a TikTok movement in like an anti-monarchy, <laughs> I don't know, viral video where that could shift perspective. Because I, I do feel like if like the kids get onto something yeah. and then it, it just like... They can take it down. Know. Yeah. So I am kind of like, I feel like it could happen. That we're, we're, <laughs> we're all just one viral TikTok away from... Completely transforming. <laughs> Look, I wouldn't put anything past 
past Generation Z. <laughs> <laughs> I know that sounded old when I said. I'm pretty sure it's called Gen Z, but I wouldn't. No, I would get that wrong. I wouldn't put anything past them at this stage because I've seen them take down bigger forces. So uh, that could be interesting. I mean, again, I'm not advocating for it, but tweet, tweet Jeeves. I'm just curious. In the show notes, we're just asking questions. Yeah, I think I'd have a lot more respect for the royal family if they bought everybody a drink this weekend. Ooh, so jubilee celebration of your time in power. Like what's the polite thing to do, really? If she just bought everybody in the UK drink, that would be the most like that'd be that'd be legendary. That's how that's how you like connect with the people. At least you buy them a drink because we'd all be like, you know what? We don't (laughs) we don't think we don't really know their value, but Lizzie's buying us a drink, so you get you you get a whole generation with that, right? (laughs) All and and it probably would cost less than sending Will and Kate to go and view the colonies in a private jet. I'm look just saying. Just you a know, suggestion. I'm happy to consult. Just throwing royals. If you want any more ideas for ways for you to become more relevant, reach out. <laughs> Email in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> we know you're listening, right? You're obviously <laughs> listening. So I think that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Yes, as always, we would love to hear from you. Details in the show notes. Share this with your friends. Yeah, royalist or monarchist. Yeah, and if 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 you can think of a reason that we haven't already covered to keep the monarchy in place then let us know yeah we can learn something we're intrigued because we're obviously <laughs> you know we clearly have a viewpoint we have, but... have a very specific viewpoint so it would be i'd be interested to hear some compelling arguments for why we should hold on to them that don't involve because we always have like history and things like that mm. or the tourism angle like Legoland is such a great such a great point anyway we'll see you back here next week see you next week alright bye bye